All right, welcome everyone to yet another episode of the Ben and Corey podcast. I'm Corey Navani. And I'm Benjamin Carlson. We're happy to continue bringing you the latest happenings in the sports world once again, and would like to remind you that all of our podcasts can be found on both SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. That's right, Corey. If this is your first time listening to us, we encourage you to go back and check out some of our past episodes. We hope you all continue to support us into the future by not just listening, but also rating and subscribing. So with that, let's get started. We have reached the conference finals in the NBA playoffs, and while we have the matchup we expected all season in in the West with the Houston Rockets taking on the Golden State Warriors, the Boston Celtics have surprised many with the performance in the first two rounds of the playoffs and now have a date with the Cleveland Cavaliers. We'll discuss and debate whether Houston can upend the defending champs and if the young Celtics can prevent an eighth straight finals appearance for the LeBron James. Beyond the NBA playoffs, there has been plenty of other news in the sports world. We'll discuss some of the bigger headlines of the past couple weeks with our new segment, Head of the Line. And in honor of Mother's Day, Corey and I debate our favorite TV moms in today's Top 5. Now let's get started with the NBA playoffs, and we have reached the conference finals. Uh, we've been coming to you with our breakdowns of the the previous series and uh, giving you our predictions, and we have uh, gotten to the point where we have four teams left, and we are very excited uh, because we have the LeBron James-led Cleveland Cavaliers going up against my favorite team, the Boston Celtics and the Western Conference battle that we've all been waiting for in the Houston Rockets going up against the defending champion Golden State Warriors. So, Yeah, and, and I think there's definitely... These are the most exciting matchups, I think, so far. I, I'm really looking, I've really been looking forward to, uh, to these matchups. Definitely didn't expect the Celtics to make it this far, as you can tell by my picks in the previous podcast. But... Like having watched them play, I think they definitely deserve to be where they're at, and they deserve to be up 1-0 in this series so far. Yeah, the Celtics have certainly been a surprise through the the first two rounds. I didn't necessarily think that they were going to be struggling with Milwaukee uh, in round one despite not having Kyrie Irving and, of course, Gordon Hayward, who missed the whole season. But after that series went seven games, I definitely understand why people were doubting them going up against the Red Hot 76ers. But having beat Philly in five games going up 3-0, it's at to the point where not a whole lot is surprising to me, including the Celtics beating the Cavs by 25 in game one. Though, LeBron James, 15 points, seven turnovers, minus 32 on the floor. You don't necessarily expect to see that from the, the King. I definitely don't expect to see that again in game two uh, or at all in the rest of this series, especially not if LeBron James has his sights set on the finals. But I, I think it's super important uh, that LeBron James does play well, obviously, because uh, his team, his supporting uh, cast is not exactly uh, the reason that they're, they are where they are. LeBron James is that team. 
Yeah, it's uh, it, basically there's been a lot of uh, suggestions all over the internet and social media that it's LeBron versus the Celtics. That's really what it comes down to. If LeBron doesn't play well, the Cavs lose. If he plays well, the Cavs have a chance to win. It's right. really what comes with a supporting cast. I kind of look at it like, uh, just because I'm such a big Infinity War fan, I kind of look at it as LeBron is uh, Thanos and the Celtics are like the Avengers plus guardians of the galaxy whatever the good guys because uh the the celtics really have a quite a collection of talent uh i I wasn't super knowledgeable on their roster previous to this playoff series but i mean jason tatum uh scary terry jalen brown al horford marcus smart uh aaron baines who hit a pretty clutch uh three-pointer in uh well he's, he's he can shoot from distance on occasion uh which he's done a few times in this playoffs uh so like all of those guys are contributors, and uh, when they have a head coach like Brad Stevens, who knows how to, you know, uh, get the best out of these players, it's pretty. That's a pretty imposing force, and uh, it, it's tough to say that a single player, uh, even of LeBron James's caliber, would definitely be enough to beat them. I mean, it's uh, seriously. You have to give the Celtics some respect. Yeah, the Celtics have been phenomenal, and I think Brad Stevens is a huge part of it. Uh, I'm at the point where you know, throughout the season, I was willing to concede that Greg Popovich was still the best coach in the NBA, but I'm really thinking that Brad Stevens has uh, taken that role from him. Just the way that he's been able to, uh, first off, after last season, only returning four players from a team that was number one in the East, and a lot of people were, weren't were sure what was going to happen with them defensively because they did lose some of the, the key defenders on that team. But they were still one of the best defenses in the league. And now here we are in the playoffs. We got guys like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Terry Rozier. Not a whole lot of playoff experience. Tatum is a rookie. Brown and uh, Rozier were bench guys last year. Al Horford, he was an all-star this year. He's uh, an 11-year vet at this point, And he's yep. totally taken over. So uh, I definitely think that just the way that the Celtics have been coached throughout this playoffs has proven that even though some of these other teams have more talent like Giannis Antetokounmpo, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, now LeBron James, you can't overlook them just because they don't have Kyrie Irving. Agreed. And well, here's here's the thing. I I feel like the coaching, the 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 scheme that they're running, the Celtics are running, give them a lot of uh easy looks if the defense is bad and the Cavs defense is absolute buns i mean mm-hmm. I, like watching the first half of uh of game one in this series what it, i was embarrassed on behalf of the Cavs defense they were playing terribly it, it seems like the Cavs are having to work so hard just to get any sort of sh- any sort of attempt and the celtics would just take it just take a line drive to the to the basket and get points like on every possession uh i mean i don't expect it to be that way you know every game to be like game one moving forward but if that defense doesn't improve the Cavs have just no chance no they definitely need to improve in a lot of ways which would not be surprising at least especially given LeBron's playoff history uh when he's lost game one in the uh the past uh in the eastern playoffs at least he has won the series every time of course he's he hasn't lost in the east since 2010 as he's made the finals every year but when you go back and look in 2011 and 2013 he still beat the bulls in five games after losing game one 
uh, beat the Pacers in six in 2014, the Bulls in six in 2015. This year, the Pacers, they got them in game one, and it still took seven games. But LeBron has proven that game one is not representative of an entire series. I don't think that LeBron's game one performance will be anything close to anything that we're going to see the rest of the way. Just a matter of, you know, if he isn't scoring 35, 40 points, is someone else on that Cleveland team going to step up? Where you look to Kevin Love or Kyle Korver, J.R. Smith, Tristan Thompson. And that's not as much of a question with the Celtics because they have so many guys who you can rely on for scoring if someone else isn't putting up the numbers they need to. See, that's why I have so much trouble still. I know that I've been wrong with all my picks against the Celtics up until this point, but I still, this is LeBron James. And he's shown us in the past that game one, you know, doesn't indicate what the entire series is going to be. And he's shown that he can basically single-handedly pull his team uh, from the depths of despair to, uh, you know, tantalizing victory, even if it takes him seven games. So that's why... My prediction for this series is Cavs in seven. And you should be happy that I'm picking Cavs, Corey, because so far every time I pick against the Celtics, the Celtics find a way to win. So uh, that's that, how I'm going. That with. is true. Um, I have in the past picked the Celtics to win even when I haven't felt totally confident. I went into this series basically thinking, okay, if the Celtics win game one and they look like they can at the very least compete with the Cavs, if not show that, hey, we're the better team, they just have the better player, like was the case with Milwaukee and Philadelphia, I would think the Celtics would actually win the series. Uh, and because that happened, not only did they win game one, but they blew them out. I still think it's a series, but I'm going to stick with the Celtics, Celtics in seven. I think that this Celtics team, like I've been saying, they're the Eagles of the NBA. If you just look at the parallels, Eagles struggled their first game against Atlanta, Celtics needed seven against Milwaukee. Eagles destroyed the Vikings when everyone was like, oh, Minnesota, they're going to host the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, everyone's been saying like the Sixers were great, and the Celtics beat them in five, could have easily swept them. And then the Eagles going up against the, the mighty Patriots and Tom Brady led most of the way, let the Patriots get back, but in the end they pulled it out. I think it's going to be a hard-fought seven-game series with the Celtics taking the early lead, letting Cleveland kind of get in it never making you feel comfortable either way and ultimately pulling out the series and advancing to the NBA finals. I like the parallels. I like the parallels. Yeah. I definitely can see where <laughs> so. you're coming from. And and it's I'm very, so excited to watch this series because I think it's going to be really hard to call. Uh, so definitely. Yeah, at the very least, that. yeah, at the very least, I think it'll be much better than last year's series when the Cavs won every game in a blowout. So. Yeah, well, at least we know that won't happen since they've already no, lost no. game one. And also, while our listeners are listening to this, game two will have already happened. So uh, yep. we'll see uh, how that turns out. So uh, the next, on the West Coast, on the Western half of the league, I guess you should, I should say, uh, Rockets Warriors. And this game, they've already done their game one as well. And uh, the, the Warriors uh, took home the first victory. Yep, we got to finally see the Western Conference Finals that people have been hyping up since the beginning of the season. You had James Harden's Rockets against Kevin Durant's Warriors. Durant goes for 37, Harden for 41, and Golden State still wins, 119 to 106. Entering this postseason, you and I both said the Rockets were going to not only uh, win the finals, but get past the Warriors to get there. 
I don't know if I'm feeling as good about that prediction now, seeing what the Warriors have done in this postseason. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. Um, an interesting stat I came across uh, while getting ready for this podcast. The Warriors haven't even let a series go to game six since they blew the 3-1 lead. I mean, the Warriors are absolutely dominant in the in the postseason, and ju- I mean, they've continued that dominance here. Um, I mean, I it's like I know I already said I, I think the Rockets would win the finals, but um, yeah, I'm with you on the not feeling great about that pick anymore. <laughs> yeah, I I was willing to take back that pick just after watching Golden State have their way with the Spurs in the first round, and then you bring back Steph Curry, who at the time. So not only were the Warriors struggling to finish the season, but Curry wasn't healthy. I didn't realistically think that he was going to be back anytime soon. Uh, But the fact that not only did he return for that Pelican series, but averaged 24.5 points per game at 44% from three, you throw Curry into the mix with a team that was already playing well with Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson. And I don't know if Houston can stop them at this point. They already lost game one. Not only would they have to win game two, but they're going to have to win a game in Golden State to have this be a series again. So. Yep, and and I just don't – I'm not sure I see it happening. I mean, the, the like, the Warriors do everything the Rockets do better. Uh, they obviously have a more talented roster. And as much as you love to have a guy like James Harden on your team, you've still got Kevin Durant on the Warriors. So it's uh, – I don't see any reason, like, unless the Warriors have a totally uncharacteristic collapse, I don't know if the Rockets can play well enough to to do anything about this series. No, the, the Rockets have already been known to be uh, playoff disappointments in the past with James Harden uh, not playing well against San Antonio in the, the end of their series last year. Chris Paul is playing in his first Western Conference Finals. It took him... Uh, all the way to this point to even get this far so it'll be interesting to see what he does in this this uh series going forward clint capella the rocket center i think he's the x factor in the series i think if houston is going to pull it out it's because capella is just able to be dominant on both sides of the ball because while the warriors do have their their wing players and thompson and durant they don't have the the center that can uh, parallel Clint Capella. Mm-hmm. So that is the one edge you can give Houston. But if uh, you know if Curry, Thompson are, are supporting a, a dominant KD and Harden scores 41 and Houston still loses, it doesn't bode well for the Rockets going forward. Agreed. And I mean, honestly, I, uh, I just had so much more... Um, I guess it wasn't... Like, I still think the Rockets are playing well. It's just uh, the... The Warriors are just as dominant as ever, and we've already seen what they do in the postseason. I'm going with Warriors in five. I think that uh, the the Rockets can steal one. They definitely have the talent to, uh, you know, maybe take one home. But overall, I think the Warriors are going to get through this series relatively easily. Yeah, I think Warriors in five as well. I'm honestly tempted to say Warriors in four. Uh, I do think that Houston will get back on track with one of these games, probably game two at home, because I think if they're down 2-0 going to Golden State, that series is over and doesn't even get back to Houston. But uh, it's it's definitely uh, not turning out to, at least early on, like the way I'm looking at it, the way you're looking at it, it's not looking like this, this fantastic series. Maybe it will turn into one. Uh, and maybe I think 
<laughs> just seeing the Warriors play well and like wanting to to back off our Rockets prediction makes us think, oh, we have to go all in on Golden State. But I, I don't know if this is going to be a full seven-game series. I would love to see this be a good series. Uh but I just I've seen too much Warriors playoff basketball to to, mm-hmm. to think that that's really a possibility. Just like I've seen too many times LeBron James single-handedly uh, winning a series for the Cavs. So <laughs> I've got to uh, I've got to go with the the picks that I've got in uh, Warriors in five. I think huh, is going to be what we what I'm going with. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, hopefully we get two good series because uh, the, these NBA playoffs have been pretty good. But we did have a, a few short series in in the uh, second round with four and five games for all of them. Yeah, so it would be nice to have a, a couple six or seven games to really enjoy before we get to the NBA finals. Agreed. Um, but with that, I think we can move on. So this is a new segment, and uh, basically we. We really wanted to talk about the NBA playoffs because we have been bringing the NBA playoffs to you uh, the past two podcasts, breaking down each series and wanted to continue to devote as much time to it as possible. But we don't want to leave you just that. This is a sports podcast. We want to talk about sports. There's been a lot of stuff to talk about. We don't necessarily want to focus on one big topic, but we do want to kind of go over some of the the latest happenings uh, over the past couple weeks and... Uh, to get that started, Ben, do you want to read our first headline uh, for Head of the Line? Sure. The Toronto Raptors have fired Dwayne Casey after winning a franchise record 59 games. Yep. So the Raptors, number one seed in the East. They've been known to choke in the playoffs. A lot of people thought the same thing would happen. And not only did they lose once again to the Cavs, but they got swept once again by the Cavs. And it was thought that the Raptors needed to make some changes. It's not all that surprising that they fired Casey. But he's the best coach in the franchise's history. And it's hard to believe that they're going to be able to easily replace him with someone who can finally put them over the edge. Right, right. From my perspective, I think this is insanity. I mean, obviously... It's like you got swept by arguably the best player in history. Uh, you can hardly put that on the coach. I, I mean, the, this was the year. Everyone is saying it. This is the year the Raptors have their best chance to beat the Cavs and then getting swept. Yeah, it's really disappointing. But, I mean, uh, like franchise record year uh, and then getting fired after that. I mean, again, it's a disappointment. But I, I don't know if I agree with this firing here unless they know who the next guy is going to be. Yeah, there's, there's some hope that they could maybe uh, swing Mike Budenholzer, who uh, until this firing was was uh, definitely the, the favorite to land the Milwaukee Bucks job. Uh, but outside of him, I don't know if there's an obvious replacement, but it's just there's just another case of a coach being fired by LeBron James. If you look <laughs> in the past, you had you know, Frank Vogel of the Pacers could never beat him. He lost the job a few years ago. Tom Thibodeau with the Bulls, now Casey. Even David Blatt and Mike Brown, LeBron's former coaches in Cleveland, uh, definitely got him out of there. Brown, when he was, uh, you know, first a free agent and ultimately left Miami. Blatt midway through their championship season, and you can even throw in some other coaches like Eddie Jordan, who was a coach of the Wizards uh, back in 2006, 2007, and 2008. They lost to the Cavs in the first round. He lost his job shortly after that. Flip Saunders, he lost to the 
LeBron, young LeBron in 2007 and lost his job a year later. Even Doc Rivers, who wasn't fired by the Celtics, uh, the Celtics were definitely willing to part ways with him once they realized that their their big three veteran core was uh, long done and they had no chance of competing, at least in the going forward against LeBron. Um, so he was traded to the Clippers, and it's, it's just another case of uh, Eastern Conference coaches being really good, but not good enough to beat LeBron and not good enough to keep their job because of it. Beware LeBron if you're an Eastern Conference coach. His body count continues to rise. And I, I personally disagree with this one. I mean, obviously you want to win the big one, but I, I just feel like there's a chance to lose ground by firing your best coach ever. Um, but that's just yeah, my opinion. It, it definitely seems like they would only go down from here and not up. Uh, but moving on. The Washington Capitals have advanced to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time in 20 seasons. Capitals defeated the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Pittsburgh Penguins, my favorite hockey team, in the second round in six games. They're in the Conference Finals. Not only is it the first time the Capitals are there since 1998, but it's the first time the Washington sports team has made it to their sports semifinals since 1998. That's a stat that we've been loving to throw out yep. for a while now, Ben. And the Capitals have broken it. Yeah, and you know, thank goodness for the people of D.C. that they finally have uh, some sports of consequence to root for uh, in some meaningful games. I actually watched highlights from the first two games uh, between the Caps and the Lightning, and uh, quite a display. And at the end of, or well, not actually the end. Towards the end of game two, the uh, the fans of the Lightning were packing it, you know, packing it in. They were headed yeah. home before the game even ended uh, because the Caps were truly dominant. And uh, that's something I'm not used to seeing a Washington team being dominant this late in the playoffs. Yeah, not only did the Capitals uh, win two games in Tampa, but two blowout wins. People have been saying it's the Caps years for uh, most of the season. It's the first time the Capitals weren't like the number one dominant team all regular season. Still finished with the best record in their division, but uh, it's it's definitely looking like the Capitals are the favorites at this point to uh, win Lord Stanley's Cup. So well, we'll, we'll see what happens as we move forward. I'm calling it a sweep. I'm calling it now. It's going to be a sweep. Sorry, Tampa. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, a sweep seems likely, but it would not be the uh, the most Washington sports thing ever to have the Capitals come home and uh, lose four in a row. <laughs> <laughs> so. But we'll, we'll see if uh, they, they've truly broken their their curse. Break out the brooms. That's, that's all I got to say. Yeah. All right, moving on. Ben Roethlisberger doesn't want to mentor Steelers rookie quarterback Mason Rudolph. Uh, and I – honestly, this one for me, uh, I, I don't think there's two ways about it. Ben Roethlisberger needs to stop being a little crybaby, okay? You're a quarterback <laughs> in the NFL. If there's any position in any sport that demands confidence, it's being a quarterback in the NFL. You have to believe that you're the best guy on the field at all times, no matter what recent, no matter if you threw a, a pick six on the last drive. You have to go out there and you have to believe in yourself enough to uh, to to command that offense and to be the best player you can be. And if Ben Roethlisberger is so worried about a rookie quarterback coming out of OSU that wasn't even drafted in the first round, that if he helps him. If he mentors him, that he'll steal his job, then Ben Roethlisberger is already lost because he's. He, where's the confidence? You're you're a Hall of Fame quarterback. 
you should not be worried about Mason Rudolph. You should be ready to mentor him, or at the very least, be just a good example for him. Uh, and, you know, if, if the worst does happen, Ben Roethlisberger uh, suffers an injury or for some reason can't play, the, then he needs to do what's best for his team and make sure that Mason Rudolph is the most capable uh, replacement that he can be. So, so I'm totally against this. I think Ben Roethlisberger needs to uh, shape up and do what's best for his team. So the, the last podcast, I, I mentioned my hesitation with the Steelers drafting Rudolph. Uh, while I do think that he is a capable quarterback who, uh, you know, he was probably the number six guy in his class, but easily could have made a case for him being a first-round pick, fell all the way to a third. But I, I, I get Roethlisberger, after saying that he wants to play three more years, being upset that the Steelers drafted a quarterback. But the two years before, he was threatening retirement. And wasn't committing to playing the 2017 season and after a bad game as the Jaguars was wasn't sure if he still had it in him so for him to be upset by the Steelers actions it a lot of it is on himself I understand the idea of not wanting to develop the next guy when you think you still have some time left but the fact of the matter is Landry Jones and Josh Dobbs are competing for a, pl- or a spot on the roster. They don't want to be the guy who has to mentor Rudolph, the guy who's stealing one of their jobs. So it is on Ben to get this guy ready. And not necessarily the, uh, the kind of controversy that you want to have heading into the season. I do prefer this happening in May than in you know, September or mid-season, like some of the, the recent Steelers news. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just come to the point where Roethlisberger needs to be ready to move on. I don't want him to go. I want him to keep playing as long as he's capable. But between his retirement thoughts, his injury history, and just the fact that he's getting up there in age, the Steelers do need to start looking toward the future. And it starts with uh, you know, hoping that Roethlisberger can be the, uh, the guy to hand it off to the next Steve Young, Aaron Rodgers, oh, yes. and Mason Rudolph. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here's the thing. Mason Rudolph needs to take advantage of the situation. Well, no matter Ben Roethlisberger's attitude towards the situation, Mason Rudolph is still going to be sharing a quarterback room with a Hall of Fame quarterback. So it's up, it is up, you know, just as much on him, if not more on him, than it is uh, Ben Roethlisberger for him to uh, take advantage of that situation and learn and be Ben Roethlisberger's shadow and understand why Ben Roethlisberger has had the career he's had. Uh, so while a lot of people are getting onto Ben, like even I'm getting onto Ben, like don't have a bad, like obviously don't go to the media and say, I don't want to, I don't want to <laughs> help my team uh, get better. But it's also, let's, let's be honest here. It's Mason Rudolph who really needs to take advantage of the situation and make sure he learns from Ben. Uh, so I think that it, yeah. it's, it's not just Ben Roethlisberger. You got to look at the whole picture. Now, and one thing Ben did was he did send a good luck text to Mason Rudolph after go. all this this came out. So <laughs> he's trying. Nice. Uh, but our, our next headline, Tiger Woods shot 11 under and finished tied for 11th at the Players' Championship this weekend. Uh, he was actually shooting minus 14 at one point in second place. He ended up finishing seven strokes back of the, the uh, winner, uh, Webb Simpson. But Tiger, after barely making the cut, had an amazing Saturday, put together another solid Sunday to finish num- oh, tied for 11th, and you got to start wondering how long is it going to be before he finally breaks through and wins a tournament. Yeah, I have been wondering that because people keep telling me about Tiger's promising outings, and 
Am I supposed to be impressed? Win, dude. You used to win all the time. <laughs> uh, I mean, again, it, it's golf, so I guess there's like there's only one winner, and there's a whole bunch of dudes out there. But uh, Tiger, I mean, is he the goat of golf? It's uh, <laughs> I think Jack Nicklaus probably still holds that honor. I think uh, Tiger Woods was on the fast track before injuries and off the uh, course problems kind of derailed his career a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, and but, that, that's my my opinion on it. I mean, I, I think that it's cool that Tiger is playing because I thought we had seen the last of him a long time ago. Uh, but uh, you know, get it, you know, get win one, and then we'll talk about you. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't he hasn't won a major since two thousand eight. Uh, we'll see. He has a, a few more chances with the the next one coming up, the U.S. Open, which was the last major tournament that he won. Uh, I'll be patiently waiting to hear uh, <laughs> when he lifts a, a trophy of his own. Uh, but moving forward, the Supreme Court has declared Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act unconstitutional, paving the way for legalized sports betting in the United States. Yeah, this is a groundbreaking decision by Congress for sports. Uh, previously, gambling on sports has only been legal in Nevada, uh, which is the case since this act was signed in 1992. But now, states have the right to make it legal, and we've already seen plenty of states show interest in this. Seems like only a matter of time before New Jersey legalizes it, as they are expected to have it in place before the NBA Finals start. Uh, Delaware, New York, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, among some of the states that are soon to follow. And while I'm not necessarily a big betting guy, I do think this is pretty great news uh, for the world of sports. So for those who aren't as, uh, you know, experienced in gambling, how is this any different from just like betting online? So basically the way that this is going to change is you are like, basically money is going to be taxable now. And there's going to be a lot of revenue going into the sports themselves, uh, as opposed to just the, the kind of black market gambling that, that tends to happen. Nevada had $4.8 billion uh, in their sports books in 2017. That was a record for a year. The expectation is that uh, some racetracks are already thinking that they could be pulling in a billion dollars in gambling uh, money now that this is a thing wow so yeah so there's gonna be like a lot of money going in you know more like casual people have uh you know greater opportunity i guess in the sense that it's it's legal it's not as much of a trying to you know go behind the scenes finding some some online betting place now it's not going to be legal everywhere so uh there are plenty of states that have some work left to do don't think you can instantly just legally start gambling at this point but in terms of a, a gambler's perspective, the you know you're no longer having to go to your bookie, which yeah, kind of kind of sad. But at the same time, like it's it's legal. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, sorry yeah. bookies, you uh, <laughs> take the L on this one. But uh, I actually yeah, yeah I uh, l- gambling is legal in other countries. When I was in London, I remember seeing a bunch of places that were actual like brick and mortar stores where you could go in and uh place your bets on the premier league games so uh time for the united the the average united states citizen to get in on the action yep so we'll we'll see what happens from here but it's it's definitely some exciting news for uh pretty much anyone who's a a big sports fan and loves money going to sports (laughs) (laughs) 
So uh, with that, I think we are ready to move on to this week's top five, where Ben and I will debate our favorite TV moms. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. All right. So this past Sunday was Mother's Day. And to uh, fit the theme of the weekend, we will be talking about some of our favorite mothers on the television screen. Yeah, and shout out to so, all the moms that are listening right now. We, we, yes. we love what you guys do, uh, and we appreciate you. Yes, very much. Um, but with that, let's uh, talk about some of our fictional moms who have captured our hearts just as much. Okay, and I'll start with my number five, and that is Wilma Flintstone um, from The Flintstones. And Wilma is uh, definitely one of the uh, – well, she's she's definitely in my top five because she's one of the first names that comes to my head when I think of TV uh, wives. Like, way back, she's been in the game so long, and she's kind of the – the uh you know the the logical yin to fred flintstone's wacky yang um and she keeps the rock pearls on um on all the time which is a it's a very like 50s mom kind of things to do but you know she's way back in time so she's she's got rocks instead of pearls but they still look classy and she keeps up with all the household chores with all the different animals uh, and dinosaurs that end up being a part of that, uh, whether it's like the living vacuum cleaner or the garbage disposal that's just a little animal that's eating their <laughs> their garbage <laughs> under the sink. So um, Wilma holds it down, keeping Fred in, in line and, uh, and also being a uh, capable mom. Yeah, when, when I was a little kid, I loved the Flintstones. Um, kind of outgrew them uh, by the time I was, you know, getting mid mid to late elementary school. But I definitely definitely a, a fun mom to to make your list at number five. So my number five is Lois from Malcolm in the Middle. And while I wouldn't necessarily say that Malcolm in the Middle is one of my favorite shows, I did really enjoy watching it when it first came on Nick and Night uh, back when I was in middle school. And Lois is just that stereotypical mom who's always like getting on her kids to, you know, do their chores and eat their dinner. And she just has like this attitude about her that just like she really had a, a character in this show. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with uh, the, the hus- her husband, Hal, like he was kind of more the, the laid back. Lois was the, the uh, stern mother and definitely had a lot of uh, comedy aspects to her, just the way that. Uh, she would parent Malcolm and his brothers, and I, I really just thought that she was such an entertaining character. I don't know if I necessarily would want to be uh, one of the, the un, no, family without a last name, uh, <laughs> one of their kids, to have her as my own mom, but she was certainly uh, made, made for some humorous moments, uh, just the way that she would, she would uh, treat her children. She reminded me of an actual real mom. Like, she was less yeah. TV mom and more, like, this is what moms actually do. Because she's got her crazy yes. boys she's got to keep, like, in line. And she was very strict and sometimes, like, mean to her kids. But it wasn't mean in the sense that she was a cruel person. She was mean because she was a mom and they're kids yep. and she has to keep them in line. So, yeah, I definitely appreciate what Lois uh, brought to the table in Malcolm in the Middle. Uh, okay, moving forward, my number four is... Catelyn Stark of Game of Thrones, and I know Catelyn Stark not su- not super well known for her uh, 
her duties as a mother, but she definitely is a mother and to some very impressive children. Uh, Catelyn's tough. She's smart. She's a virtuous woman. And she holds her own politically uh, with all in a world dominated by men. Uh, Catelyn Stark is uh, strong enough to stand among them. Uh, and she was she was just gone too soon. And I truly do miss her. Uh, after uh, I, I know that's a spoiler, but if you haven't seen the Red Wedding at this point, then I uh, I I I I don't I don't care. I think Catelyn Stark is <laughs> worth remembering. R.I.P. Catelyn Stark, top 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 five mom. Yeah, I, I knew for sure that you were going to have a Game of Thrones mom on your list. It was just a matter <laughs> of of which one. So not surprising to have uh, Catelyn Stark come in for you. So my number four is Claire Dunphy from Modern Family. Mm. And when Modern Family first came out, uh, I didn't really watch the show a whole lot. I, I would occasionally, like if it was on TV, I, I knew it was a pretty funny show. And in my opinion, it's it, in terms of the TV, like late night shows that are being uh, put on network television right now, which is certainly lacking in terms of quality compared to some of your, your Netflixes, your HBO showtimes, mm-hmm. I do think Modern Family is a... A legitimate like fun show yeah uh, a lot of humor to it and uh, recently uh, at least over the past few years my parents have really gotten into it so because of that there are plenty of times where I'll watch it and I I, I really enjoy the whole family um, but Claire Dunphy as a mom I think she she definitely you know as a comedy show like she has her humor in it um, but I, I've always like really appreciated Phil Dunphy, and I think part of the reason why I enjoy Claire is because she is Phil's husband or Phil's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, Phil is her husband, and I, I've always kind of like you know low key been like I think Claire Dunphy is like the kind of kind of wife that I want to have someday, just in terms of like the way that you know in terms of uh, I'll say yeah looks and uh, just the, the the parenting and uh, just the the fun like you know, she she's a successful woman and. Uh, just being a great show like it, it was hard for me to to keep her off my list yeah honestly i did i kept coming back to uh claire uh dunphy she's honestly for me i i don't know if she had enough uh uniqueness to to make my top five but uh her she was definitely a important part of what makes modern family modern family and i definitely do love that show and it's i i, I like that you mentioned you watch it with your folks because that's mm-hmm. usually when i'm watching modern family is when i'm <laughs> visiting my folks and because uh, they love yep. that show and it's in i know it's called modern family so it's a little bit cheesy to say this but like i really do feel like that show is for the modern family like watching yes. it today uh, and it, it just works so well uh, as like kind of the new uh, like hybrid family. Uh, so yeah. that definitely, she de- I knew she was going to be on somebody's list. Yeah. Um, so moving yeah. forward, my number three uh, TV mom is Marge Simpson, and uh, I'm a I, I actually Marge. Uh, I could have had her higher on this list, but uh, because Marge is such a mom icon, she's been on TV for so long. Uh, I think longer than any TV mom, and uh, and she's she's just an icon. Everyone recognizes the tall blue hair and the green dress and the pearls. I mean, Marge uh, is she's she's been in every situation as a mom. Uh, she's got a boy and a girl, and uh, she has to keep Homer in line, and much in the same vein as Wilma. Uh, but you know, she's smart 
and she's uh, she's classy, and she's also been known to be sexy on occasion. Uh, somebody, uh, so she she kind of she she's kind of the total package, uh, and, uh, and and I just can't get over how much of an icon she is. She's been in the public eye for so long, uh, you can't really have a top five TV moms without at least mentioning Marge Simpson. Yeah, as you just mentioned, uh, Claire Dunphy was one that you were close to putting on your list. Marge Simpson was my number six. Uh, she was there, and then she wasn't. But yeah, such a, an iconic character, such an iconic cartoon mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there, there are plenty of them across all the shows, but Marge Simpson certainly stands out above the rest. So I, I definitely am a fan of you having her in your top five. Um, so my number three. So this is another Nick at Night uh, show that I, I started watching and uh, fell in love with as a uh, middle schooler and eventually high schooler. And while she isn't necessarily uh, exclusively a mom in the show, Benny Lopez, the mom of the character George Lopez, played by George Lopez in the show George Lopez. (laughs) Um, She's also a grandma in the show, but a big part of her character is the fact that she is George's mother. Mm -hmm. Uh, His alcoholic, uh, emotionally abusive growing up mother uh, now she is very involved with his family. George is a, a successful um, factory worker at this point during the show, and Benny is a little little bit of uh, living off his his success. But there, there's definitely just like that that dysfunctional relationship. Is George? You know, while he definitely loves her, like there there are plenty of just like funny moments where he just flat out is like i do not like my mom at all like i want her out of my life i know I, uh, one of my my uh, favorite comments he's ever made was uh when she was she needed somewhere to stay and he didn't want her to live with them so he said uh oh you know bars close at two the sun rises at six it only leaves her four hours to fight off homeless people in the park and just like <laughs> that like that that relationship they had uh they're just like some some like fun moments with benny uh and she herself is a great character despite having run-ins with the law or uh you know being just uh, abusive to george no i well i i love this inclusion i love the george lopez show so funny uh great nick at night show uh, but I think Benny Lopez is, uh, you know, a, a realistic mom. I'm, I'm not saying that everybody's mom is like that, but definitely some people's moms mm-hmm. are like that. Uh, but they, they keep working at it. You know, she's never out of yep. George's life forever. And uh, they, uh, you know, even though it's tough at times, they continue to try to work together because they are, she is George's mom. Uh, and I think that's it's cool to see that on television. The relationship isn't always perfect. <laughs> Yeah, but that's hey, that's what part of makes it a, a funny show and makes her a fun character. I agree. I, I like your. I like that she's on this list. Uh, moving forward, my number two is Carol Brady. And uh, actually, like scouring the internet for top ten like TV moms list, I saw Carol Brady near the top on a lot of them, uh, and for good reason. The Brady Bunch, obviously, and like a hugely popular show. Uh, but the thing that Carol Brady brings to the uh, the table is she's kind of a hybrid mom. First off, she's a very active person. She's not just a mom, right? She at, at different points in the show she tries. She's a writer. She's a sculptor. She can sing. She uh, like is a PTA mom and, and a litany of other things. Uh, Carol Brady not defined by the fact that she has children, but that is a big part of who she is because she starts the show as a single mother with three girls so you get that aspect of it that you don't always see uh in like 
stereotypical TV moms as being the single mother. But then she becomes a stepmother when uh, she marries uh, Mr. Brady, and now she has three stepsons. So uh, you get to see a multifaceted kind of relationship in that family, and Carol Brady uh, carries that role very well. Uh, and obviously, just the success of the Brady Bunch is going to uh, make her uh, an icon in her own right. So uh, Carol Brady, my number two TV mom. Yeah, I, to the point you made, I, I definitely saw her at the top of all the lists that I was looking at. I actually have very little experience with the Brady Bunch uh, in terms of watching it. I never really watched a whole lot of older shows, uh, and of those I did, the Brady Bunch wasn't one of them, so I didn't feel right including her in my list, but uh, definitely worth included in any top five TV moms list, so one, gotta give a shout out to... Yeah, well one caveat I will say uh, is that she did have Alice, the maid, uh, help her with the chores around the house, which, you know, more power to you. You have six kids, there's a lot There's a lot of work to be done there, but, um, you know, that, that I, I just have to put a little asterisk by uh, Mama Brady, because uh, she, you know, Alice should get a little bit of the credit for doing those uh, the household duties, which was a big part of who she was. All right, so my number two is uh, from probably my favorite sitcom of all time, that '70s show, Kitty Foreman, and. Kitty is the wife of Red Foreman. Red is, you know, he's always, um, you know, talking about putting a, a wanted to shove a foot up the ass of his <laughs> his son and uh, his friends. And Kitty is the the more loving uh, mother to them. She has she just uh, a very iconic character in the show, just because she has so many different like. Not only is she Eric's mom, but she more or less becomes Hyde's mom. She becomes Fez's mom. Uh, just like so many characters who don't have the same kind of relationships that she has with her son, mm-hmm. she is able to you know welcome them into her home and have such a loving relationship with them. And it's something that is like really played out throughout the show. Uh, just the the relationship that she has with her children and her children's friends. And just because of that, it's it's hard for me to not consider her one of my my favorite TV moms. And you throw in just the the funny aspect of that '70s show, and it just makes me love her even more. So uh, for me, Kitty Foreman uh, definitely was gonna make this list, and uh, putting her at number two was a pretty easy selection for me. I like I like it. Kitty Foreman is a great TV mom, especially because she's kind of the the softer side of the uh, the equation there, uh, with Red yeah. Foreman always you know talking about where he's going to put his foot uh but (laughs) even though she can have a fiery side at times she's uh you know she's she's a multifaceted person and and also very memorable so i'm happy to see her on your list at number two and to finish off my list number one we have june cleaver aka mrs cleaver from leave it to beaver and i actually have seen a lot of this show my mom, when I was growing up, my mom loved to watch the show uh, with me, and it was kind of like our thing we did together. And uh, Mrs. Cleaver is the absolute stereotypical '50s mother, uh, and she she carries that position of like 
the uh, matriarch of the family of the household uh, she you know she takes a big responsibility with that she's very serious about it. she keeps the house tidy and clean but she also keeps herself looking presentable all the time she has the pearls on her hair is always done she's got the makeup on her you know she, she's always cooking and uh, making sure that the boys are you know have their lunches before they head out the door uh, and making sure that they're tucked in at night uh, and it's Obviously, it's like it's kind of unrealistic to the, uh, to today's standards, or even maybe those days' standards. She may have just been uh, this may have been kind of an ideal, but she is. Whenever you think of like a stereotypical mother, it's June Cleaver, and uh, and that's why she makes the number one on my list as just the straight up definition of the stereotypical uh, mom. Yeah, June Cleaver is. Definitely, yeah, like you said, the stereotypical mom. Another older show, June Cleaver, Carol Brady are certainly two of the the names that come up on those TV moms list. I, I did watch Leave It to Beaver a little more than uh, most older shows when I was younger. Um, definitely not as much as I, I would need to for me to like truly appreciate her in the top five, but that is uh, certainly a lot of people would probably include her as their number one if they were asked this question. Uh, so finally, my number one is Tammy Taylor from my favorite show, Friday Night Lights. She's the mom of Julie and the wife of coach Eric Taylor. Now, the actress Connie Britton played the coach's wife in the Friday Night Lights movie and then a couple years later when the TV series started she also played the role of the coach's wife but she was more than just the the football coach's wife she had uh, a, an amazing character development as the show went on as she eventually became the guidance counselor of Dillon High School and Beyond that, the principal of the school, uh, she played a major role in just the series itself uh, with her uh, being the, the football coach's wife, but at the same time being such a, a great uh, you know, guidance counselor and eventually principal for students. She is someone who uh, really like adored by the town, had some moments where she made some decisions uh, in her eyes for the better that maybe weren't for the better of the football team and in a, a, a Texas <laughs> town that is obsessed about football. Yeah, that's that's always going to be a priority over the kids' education. Uh, but for me, just Friday Night Lights, a fantastic show. I always loved Tammy. I uh, always loved the whole Taylor family. And uh, having her as my number one was a slam dunk, easiest choice uh, when I... I came up with the idea of TV mom. She was definitely the, the first one to come to mind. And you were not alone uh, scouring the internet for top TV moms. I definitely saw Tammy Taylor near the top. Unfortunately, I haven't had the pleasure of watching Friday Night Lights, but I know from so many people that have seen it that it's a top-notch show, and I'm sure Tammy uh, you know, is, is right up there with that uh, caliber of quality. Uh, so although I can't speak personally, I, uh, I think that many would agree that this is a a good choice for your number one yeah so they're actually um just announced that they're making a new friday night lights movie but unfortunately it's a just another remake it's not a continuation of the tv series like a lot of people kind of hoped it would be uh so we'll see if we ever get something like that but Any it's uh, definitely actors? just like it's still been launched i i don't think that they've gotten that far yet okay but we'll we'll see it's uh, definitely a, a movie that i'm i'm gonna see just being a, such a big fan of friday night lights but uh 
uh, yeah, just the show itself is fantastic. Highly recommend checking that out. Uh, it's no longer on Netflix, I don't think. Uh, I know it was for a while, but yeah, it was a, a great show. I watched it live, well, while it was still running back in in the day in middle school and high school, and uh, definitely my favorite that I have watched. You know, it's about football and obviously <laughs> a lot a lot of other stuff, but the the football aspect of it is definitely great so uh that's almost all we have for you today um one thing i do want to go into so last episode uh we had my show my team and that was the second time we've done that ben talked about uh crystal palace and how they were able to at the time were close to avoiding relegation I talked about the Pirates and how the fans were not happy about them trading Andrew McCutcheon, uh, but the team has been successful. And we both have some updates we can give on that. Yes. So, Ben, if you want to talk about what, what happened to Crystal Palace to finish the Premier League season. Yes, if you'll, if you'll recall, the, the Palace started with the worst start to a Premier League season in history, uh, scoreless through the first seven games. Well, they concluded the season uh, with the best record in the Premier League for the last six games. Four victories, uh, two draws, and Crystal Palace finished in 11th place, which is one behind their best finish of all time. So Crystal Palace from the depths of despair to the heights of mid-table victory, hashtag up the Palace, and uh, we'll see you in the Premier League next season. Yeah, I was uh, very surprised when I saw that Crystal Palace not only avoided relegation, but finished 11th in the table. Uh, definitely a strong finish for them that bodes well heading into next season. As for the Pirates, so Andrew McCutcheon was traded to the San Francisco Giants in the offseason. This past weekend, the Giants came to PNC Park Andrew McCutcheon's first return to Pittsburgh since the trade. And first at bat, strikes out. Second at bat, strikes out. He went one for five with a double in the Friday night game. The Pirates won 11-2. Overall in the series, McCutcheon four for 14. Three of those four hits were doubles. Scored a couple runs, had an RBI. Four strikeouts, two in each of the first two games, which were both Pirates wins. The Giants did steal one on Sunday, but overall Pittsburgh won the series. They're now 23-17, just a game back in the Milwaukee Brewers. And their next nine games are against the last place White Sox, the last place Padres, and the last place Reds before a 10-game stretch against division rivals St. Louis and Chicago. So uh, definitely a chance for the Pirates to continue the success before going up against uh, some of their division rivals who they have already been playing well against to start the season. So plenty of reasons to be excited in Pittsburgh. McCutcheon might be gone, but... There are a lot of great players still on that team. Now, I, uh, I'm pretty sure I saw maybe like an Instagram video of McCutcheon uh, addressing the crowd when he returned to Pittsburgh, and he got uh, like more or less a standing ovation from uh, the fans in Pittsburgh. Is that, yeah. is that what I saw? Yeah, he actually got a standing ovation. Uh, his first one before his first at-bat lasted a minute and 36 seconds. So wow. he's still beloved in Pittsburgh. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Pirates fans still love him. Uh, that's not going anywhere, but they're, they're proving that – you know, the, the decision to trade him in the offseason was probably a smart one. He's batting 259 on the season. Not a great start. While uh, Corey Dickerson, who they traded for about a month after um, trading away McCutcheon, his replacement, uh, he's batting like 
320 or something like that and uh yeah he's he's been off to a really solid start so uh definitely sad that McCutcheon was gone great to see him come back and be welcomed like that by the fans but it's it's uh it was time and they're they're proving that they they made a pretty solid decision for their future so uh with that I think uh we are we're now ready to close things out bit of a shorter episode compared to some of our previous ones uh we'll see how often that happens but uh ben do you have anything you want to uh leave our listeners with hashtag up the palace yeah <laughs> all right thanks everyone mm-hmm.